Welcome, everybody, to the Shop Notes podcast. I'm Phil from Shop Notes and Woodsmith Magazine. I'm joined with Logan from Popular Woodworking and John from Everywhere, all at once, all the time. Uh, on today's episode number 159, we're going to discuss an update to the Red Cedar Challenge. And we're also going to take a little dive in the deep end on the mailbag and answer and talk about some uh, listener questions and comments and whatever else happens to come up on today's show. So thanks for listening. All right. After not a lot of movement for a while, we finally got some submissions for the Red Cedar Challenge. Yeah, it's because everybody had to make quick make stuff that wasn't tacky. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's a slow burn. Yeah. Right. So I have a few of them that are that have some photos with them, and I'm going to put those on our show notes page. You'll find that at shopnotes.com slash podcast. Uh, and then a few others, we had some internet trouble in the sense that I didn't get those images. So I'm going to see if I can reach out to those listeners and and get those in. But I wanted to read a few of their messages that went along with it because it was kind of kind of interesting. So Ryan writes, uh, I made this display case out of aromatic cedar to display an antique doll that a client wanted to showcase. I chose cedar because it would deter moths and pests from eating the genuine wool clothing on the doll. I bought a large cedar board that had a lot of quarter sawn grain on either side, and I carefully cut out pieces that had either no knots or very few or small knots to go with it. The client was very happy, and I think you will agree that the tackiness factor is quite low. Thanks for the great podcast. The creepiness factor of that little <laughs> SOB is high, though. As, <laughs> as John pointed out, the cedar not only keeps the moths out, it keeps the doll's soul yeah. inside. Yeah. There's just something about antique dolls that have oh, a <laughs> peer into your soul kind of yeah. look to them. Yeah. My mother-in-law had one a spare bedroom that we slept in that had, like, shelves of old dolls like that <laughs> that were, I think, my wife's. <laughs> When, my, when she was young, but it was just like they're all staring at us. I know. My my grandma had the same thing. I used to spend the night at their house before we'd go fishing in the morning and like sleep in their basement. And she had all these dolls, and it's like all like talk about like yeah, you know, childhood trauma. All you know, right. like Princess Diana dolls looking at you, and they're like yeah. standing there. It's like nope, yeah. nope. Which is nope. why you should never show the Chucky movies to small children. <laughs> Or what's the latest doll, Annabelle? Mm. Is there? Oh, yeah. The... Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Yep. Annabelle, so anyway. you mean Anna Hell? <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> All right. Somebody had done some red cedar bowls, and I'm waiting to hear back from him. Tom. His name is Tom. Tom Nance, maybe? So it'll be kind of fun to see what he's got here uh, and then the other one that I'm waiting on is from a guy named listener named Harold he says hi guys I have many many customers that disagree that disagree with you as to red cedar being tacky I have designed and made wooden Moravian stars for at least 10 years now and red cedar has been a customer favorite for most of those years I make the stars for more than a dozen woods and numerous sizes ranging from an inch and a half to 39 inches. 
the red cedar star pictured measures 12 inches tip to tip. I also make my stars using recycled or repurposed materials such as sawmill slabs, firewood piles, broken and discarded furniture, plantation shutters from Habitat for Humanity Restore, etc. I also use Titebond's quick and thick glue for these stars. It's actually mm -hmm. part of the design and construction. It brought a smile to my face as I heard you young guys talk about the difference aging makes in your woodworking. As an industrial arts instructor for over 30 years and a small contractor for summers and weekends during that time, I now find it much more forgiving on the body to make the switch to smaller work. So, true story. And thank you also, Harold, for being an industrial arts instructor and having to put up with the likes of us. Mm -hmm in those classes. So mm -hmm. it's always fun to hear from teachers on that. Which I remember several of my industrial arts teachers, because when I was in middle school, we had to do, had to do it for seventh and eighth grade. It was part of a rotation with art, industrial arts, and then home economics. Well, you know, that, back then when you're all in one schoolroom, like the, every class right. is going it's on. Right, it's a lot easier that time. way. Like, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then had a guy, Ed, did another submission for the Red Cedar Challenge that I did get a photo of. He said, first let me say that I enjoy the podcast. They are informative and entertaining. I've been a longtime Woodsmith subscriber. I still have original copies dating back to issue one. I fell behind in my podcast listening, so just recently heard the interesting chat about Red Cedar. Years ago, the late 1970s, it was popular in shop class to make a cedar hope chest for your mom or sweetie. In 1976, I made one for my mom, see photos. A few years later, 1985, my dad cut a small cedar tree in our front yard in New Hampshire. He had a friend... He has a friend with a sawmill cut the tree into boards and said to make something nice for your mother. Somewhere I found a plan for a roll-top jewelry desk, so I made it for mom. Photos attached. Keep up the great work on Woodsmith Shop Notes and especially the podcast. Regards, Ed. So that was kind of cool. Although the, only the cedar chest came through. I'm going to have to yes, get back to Ed on the, yeah. on the roll-top because that would be kind of interesting to see. So the low tack red cedar people are fighting back. Yeah, they are. But where are the intarsia people? <laughs> yeah, we haven't heard cedar anything intarsia. from them. Come we haven't heard anything intarsia. from them. <laughs> they rolled over and died. Yeah, it's a bunch of stop pandas. listening. Yeah. Okay, I have a so, uh, question. Yes. That came in through a listener, and it's kind of apropos with Independence Day and um, July 4th coming up. It comes from Claire D. And she okay. wants – it's kind of off, off topic, but kind of <laughs> on topic, I guess. And she wants to know, in your opinion, what is the greatest patriotic song of all time, and why is it Miley Cyrus's Party in the USA? <laughs> <laughs> and go. <laughs> Wow. Or does it pretty much just speak for itself? I mean, I don't have anything to add to that that would be worth me saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's probably not wrong. Uh... So this is Logan speechless that 
Chris <laughs> was talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we were just away too long with you yeah. guys. We didn't do a podcast this week, and yeah. it's just silly time. Uh, Which we didn't do it because you guys were out of town, but then now I'm thinking uh, my nine-year-old daughter wanted to do a spinoff podcast just where she roasts Logan. <laughs> I <should've... laughs> she did. <laughs> yeah. So I should have got together with her and oh god, you, that one. was such a missed opportunity. John. I know, I forgot. Yeah, so Another we time. so so we had uh, Char up here to film with us, mm-hmm. and uh, we had John's daughter come in to do the episode with us, and somehow she latches on to roasting me and i don't know why yeah. i don't know how i become the butt of the jokes right. which is fine i'm cool with it i put off that vibe but she talked about how she was literally going to start a podcast just to roast me yep. yeah which you know i can't I like she has she has my respect like probably just because there's so much material there that... <laughs> <laughs> it's the low-hanging fruit yeah oh yeah man so yeah. Next she, time, next she time jumped you're right away. in on it. It was pretty funny. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. So, no, I was uh, I was out last week. Phil was out as well, like you mentioned, John, and I was down with uh, David Marks once again, uh, which was I mean, it's always fun. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's so cool. Like, I grew up watching his TV. It'd be like you know, you guys going and hanging out with Norm or something. You know, it like it was just it was super cool. So. I did even bring home a David Marks piece. So, oh, yeah. very nice. So not only did I bring home this, uh, this little olive wood vessel, um, I also brought home 86 pounds of olive wood turning blanks for wow. home. Okay. So, Dave is what I would consider, and I know he doesn't listen to this, and I know he would agree with me, David is probably the worst wood hoarder I have ever met. Oh yeah, like like not even, like it's not even a competition. Um, so the the olive wood I brought home, he cut, um, an arborist dropped it off from a, it was an olive orchard. There were limbs that had been trimmed, which they were, I mean, they were big. Um, a lot of them had burls on them, which was kind of cool. But he, there was like. 15 years ago that he had them cut up and they've been stacked under a tarp drying since i mean like just okay you should i'll send you guys a picture of the i walk into his shop and the first thing i see is a piece of curly redwood it is like literally a squared log that's probably three foot three foot long and it's just curly uh, and i'm like what the heck david he's like yeah a friend of mine just called me and asked me if i wanted it and i couldn't say no <laughs> So he had it like all measured out for like a for a hollow form and stuff. It it was awesome. So he has some he has some very interesting rare woods. So also ended up with a bunch of railroad ties that are Gabon ebony. Wow! Yeah, like like literally like I'm like what the heck, man. So are they soaked in creosote too? They are not creosote. (laughs) That's good. I don't remember what the story was, but like a student of his or a friend of his husband bought them from Africa. They had been used on a railroad for years and then they pulled them out. Um, The guy bought them and then, or I think the guy bought them or a friend of the guy bought them. And then this lady 
bought them from him. Like she dipped into her four hundred one k retirement to buy them, and yeah, I was just crazy, crazy, crazy. So it was a long week, but it was a fun week. So okay, yeah, and it was. I will say, I gotta admit, the weather in Santa Rosa was probably far better than Cape Girardeau. <laughs> was it was probably hot and sticky i'm guessing uh we actually didn't have it too bad oh really until the last day so when we were packing up to leave by the time we left at 10 o'clock in the morning it was 96 degrees and you know 413 percent humidity or whatever so yeah santa rosa was like a high of 73 every day it was beautiful so okay, I can, I can see like for all you Californians that are listening, which I don't, are, I, we probably cause cancer in California, so we're probably mm-hmm. not. Broadcast you do for there. sure, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> all right, your daughter needs to stop feeding you one-liners on your phone. <laughs> Jesus, uh, <laughs> I can see the appeal of California, though. Like, if I, I don't know that I'd live there ever, but like the weather's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, that's fair. All right. Now to some just general comments here. This one is from Joe. He says, Sometimes in, sometime in the first 50 or so episodes of the Shop Notes podcast, Logan commented about how great it was to get feedback about the podcast. So here's my story. Sorry it's so long. I didn't have time to make it shorter. We retired in 2022 and made a long-distance move to a property in Ohio that has a standalone 20 by 35 shop building. So after a break of about 23 years due mostly to lack of time and space, I'm finally getting back into woodworking. Having as much time as I want in a dedicated shop space is absolutely heaven. We bought a treadmill in January 2023 to try and keep our joints from rusting through the winter. Every morning since the end of January, I spend about 25 minutes walking a mile and a half to nowhere while listening to the Shop Notes podcast. I started back at issue at episode one, and it's been great fun hearing the show evolve and listening to Phil, Logan, and John talk about Logan's sawmilling adventures and other wood-related topics now and then. I jest. I enjoy hearing Logan get so excited about turning timber into lumber. I most love when Logan or John say something that makes Phil burst out laughing. I usually laugh out loud at those points, too. In one episode, John quipped that the podcast should not be listened to on a daily basis, but was intended for weekly consumption. I strongly disagree. I'm up to episode 76, and at the rate I'm going, I'll be caught up by the end of the year. That will be a little sad, but I'll look forward to a new episode every Friday. You three and your support staff are probably responsible for adding several years to my lifespan by keeping me motivated to get on the treadmill every morning. Thanks for that. Keep up the great work, and I'll keep listening. So we're taking years off of our lives with our new stress and (laughs) burden and giving it to other people. You guys are welcome. The Shop Notes podcast saves lives. Yes. (laughs) I mean, uh, I feel like we could put that on yeah. on some of our promotional material now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Unless you live in California. Right. Uh, Jeff writes, during a recent basement renovation, the demolition phase of our 1963 built home revealed a door frame complete with doors screwed in place 
and the doors and jam had been mortised for non-existent hinges. This beside a 120-inch wide exterior sliding door and glass panels. On the exterior, brick. Solid brick that matches the rest of the house. We discovered an honest-to-goodness Harry Potter door in the basement. Was it a portal to Hogwarts? Or if it was a portal to the editorial room of Popular Woodworking? What beasts might emerge? <laughs> it crossed my mind to run at the brick wall with a shopping cart or harbor freight table saw on a mobile base. But my sensibilities returned to decide where to move the light switch. As always, looking forward to the next, next podcast. And then he also has a PS. Apparently, the new Harry Potter video game sports some fantastic workbenches and joinery. I have heard that. I literally like the Facebook groups. Uh, there's a workbench Facebook group all about building workbenches. I don't know why. But right. people were like blowing up over it. Like, it was a okay. big thing. Like, cool. There are other like woodworking geeks like me. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that they would have that level of detail because sometimes they'll have woodworking stuff in it and you just can't look at it too closely. Mm hmm. Well, what what TV show was I watching? Was it maybe Breaking Bad, where like some one of the closing, like the final season, had one of the main characters in a wood shop somewhere? Oh yeah, like, I feel like maybe it was Breaking Bad, but I might be making that up. All right, so it sneaks in, permeates your life everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny that there was just a door in the basement, just. Bricked in. I, I see that on TikTok a lot, and there's never anything super interesting in there. It was Breaking Bad, by the way. Jesse was in a wood mm -hmm. shop making a box, in case anybody's wondering. But okay, yeah. I mean, like, what is it you think? Like, somebody is like, you know what? We want to have the ability to make this a walkout at some point if we want. So let's just put the door in now, and if we need to, we'll cut it out from the outside. Yeah, I don't. Or the brick people weren't on the same page as the framing people. <laughs> yeah. Probably that also. Yeah. Yeah, because you're right. I've seen that on TikTok where people like there's a window on the outside of their house that they lived there for like a couple of yeah. years and never realized that they don't have it on the inside of their house. And then yeah. they discover that they never cut the drywall out of that window yep. or something. Or, yeah. Or... Or like they're remodeling their basement and they find a you know a door behind one of the walls and it goes into like a you know like a cellar or something mm -hmm. that right. they didn't know that was there. So I mean, you think that would be the type of thing that you'd have to go in disclosures if the original seller knew it, but right, they didn't. You know, lost to time. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Crazy. Mm -hmm. All right, then a couple of comments from. Last week, this from Thomas writes, we've built multiple projects in our yard over 36 years. All have rotted away or fallen apart except the treehouse. It's been enjoyed by our children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews and their kids, neighbors and their kids, and it's still standing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because it's more metal than lumber. Signed, John's dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true. It's still standing. Yep. Takes a long time for those screws to rust. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Hathaway, who was here for a tour, he said, I re highly recommend arranging for a tour if you're in the area. My wife and I truly enjoyed getting to meet many of the crew and touring the shop. 
Thank you for all your hospitality. We also had a group from the Ames Woodworkers, uh, Ames, Iowa, just a little north of Des Moines, home of Iowa State University, the alma mater of our very own John Doyle. Mm -hmm. Um, Their woodworking group came down and did a group tour. So if you have a woodworking club that you're a part of or just a bunch of folk that want to get come out for a tour, we'll do that as well too. So, because we have another group coming in October, speaking of planning ahead, from uh, DuPage County, Illinois, that they'll be coming in. So, yep. And I have I have a I believe a husband and a wife that are coming in September. Okay. So yeah, bring it on. The more yeah. the merrier. Uh, Puppy Doc, speaking of, says, I would love to visit and do a tour I had emailed a few weeks ago, but haven't seen a response. How do I schedule a visit? Hmm. Uh, I apologize for that, Puppy Doc. Um, Send us an email again, and we will try and track down where yours all disappeared to. By the way, only... If that's even his name. (laughs) Right. I only recently started watching the podcast, and I'm hooked to keep up the great content. Um, Eric writes a couple of questions on a good show does John drink that much pop in these shows or is that water <laughs> cold out yes. <laughs> I've got, I got no drink today I'm de- I'm going to be dehydrated so there you go it's, a, it's no. actually Red Bull he hits the 7-Eleven yeah. Red Bull dispensary I'm, I'm, I've got a side sponsorship with Casey's there you go general store here <laughs> yeah should be next eating like a slice of gas station pizza mm-hmm. best pizza mm-hmm. ever yep. speaking of red bull my two brothers-in-law whenever they come up to visit for the state fair mm-hmm. and they're through uh they always stop at the booth that does the red bull smoothies mm. okay. so. oh i don't know i've ever seen those like i'm a like I drink coffee. I don't drink soda. I drink coffee, water. I will do Red Bull, though. I okay. love me some Red Bull. It's like a throwback to college. I've never seen a Red Bull smoothie at the fair. What? Yeah. No, it's a thing. Oh. They All love right. it. I'm down. It's great for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get them through a full day at the fair. Yep. Oh, man. Um. Maybe you have addressed this before, but I was always under the impression that when Logan discussed his shop build, it was his personal shop on his property. But in the issue of Pop Wood, I gathered that the shop is for the magazine? Perhaps kind of both for tax reason? Apologies if I'm late on the info flow on this one. Just write it off. It doesn't work. I tried. <laughs> you talked to your accountant. and I talked to my accountant. It doesn't she's work. She's like, no. No, it doesn't work like that. Home office. It's a home office. A big home office. Yeah. 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 But I learned Mr. Taxman decided if you take a W-2 from a company, mm. you cannot write off home office space as of 2019. It's like they planned for that so, whole work at home thing. I know. Hmm. So Illuminati confirmed. So the question <laughs> is, can I terminate my employment and become a free con like a not free contractor, but like become a contractor? Because then I don't draw W two. Right. Hmm? You probably have to give up any benefits. I have but, none. Okay. I don't have any. All right. We so, got something here. Yeah. Live, live negotiations. I know. He'll walk. He'll walk. 
guys. <laughs> you don't know what he'll do. So, no, the shop is on my property, um, but we are going to be moving all of our Popwood stuff there. So, um, just to kind of separate, to, you know, just to <clears throat> clarify, to separate some of, because how we build projects for Woodsmith and Popwood are different. Me building projects for Popwood in our photo studio at Woodsmith is disruptive to what the Woodsmith team's trying to do and mm-hmm. vice versa. So we're moving a lot of it out to my place. It's always been the plan to build a shop at my house. Um, me taking over Popwood kind of expedited that a little bit. Um, so, yes, it is It is going to be my personal shop, but it is going to be the home of where we're going to shoot all the Popwood um, builds and stuff, right. video, etc. So video, a lot of things I have decided. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the things I've decided to do in the shop, I have decided because it is going to be used for photo and video as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which <laughs> thanks to John and Phil, we now have an epoxy floor in the shop, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I did make a mistake though. <laughs> oh dear. So, all right, I'm going to digress for a minute. So, what we decided to do was do an epoxy floor in the shop. It looks better on photos than just a concrete floor. You know, it's going to be easier to sweep up. We have epoxy floors everywhere um, in our offices for the most part, um, whether they're painted or whatever. Um, so I decided to do an epoxy floor. And like a, a garage epoxy, it has that flake, right? So the flake adds a nice look. But I decided to do it extremely heavy. It's called uh, broadcast tell rejection. Um, so you basically throw enough flake on it that you're a hundred percent flake coverage. So the day after, you know, John and Phil and Becky and, um, Nate and Bailey all came out to, to help me do the floor and video it and stuff. Um, had the guys running or uh, Bailey and Nathan running cameras. Um, we mixed it, Phil mixed it. Um, and we dumped it on the floor, dumped the epoxy on the floor. I spread it with a squeegee, John back rolled. And then as John was back rolling, I was walking around with a five gallon bucket full of these acrylic, um, vinyl flakes, throwing vinyl flakes on the floor. Looked beautiful. It still looks great. Um, so the next day after the epoxy cured, I took my leaf blower and blew all the loose flake into the corner, vacuumed it up, and then you're supposed to scrape it. So I used a drywall knockdown knife. So it's a big, wide plastic knife for knocking down drywall texture. Um, And I used that to scrape the floor. Basically, you're busting loose all of the um, just semi-stuck flakes um, is what you're doing. Uh, And then I top-coated it. Um, and the top coat is also a two, it's a poly, it's a, a polyaspartic varnish. So it is a two part varnish that you, you mix up and you roll it on. Okay. And you do two coats. The first coat is a heavier, what they call a grout coat. So that grout coat's supposed to kind of fill in around the chips and, and oh, yeah. give you a, kind of a base for that final top coat. Uh, and then I top coated Sunday before I flew out to San Francisco. Um, what I discovered as I was doing the grout coat is that they give you a coverage area per gallon. Um, so the coverage area for the grout coat is 300 square feet per gallon. I was not getting anywhere close to that. So Hmm. what I was getting was closer to like 200. So I used an extra gallon and a half to do the grout coat, which means my top coat was gonna be a little thinner. Not that big a deal. It's just, it was very hard to roll on and keep a wet roller. Oh, sure. What I have discovered is that I was not anywhere close to as aggressive with the scraping as I should have been. Really? So Yes. So 
basically, when you get the flake thrown down, some of it lands flat, some of it lands on edge. So really what you have is you have a um, a surface that has a bunch of flakes standing on edge. Now it's not, I mean, it's, it's micro flake. It's really little, but it's still standing on edge. So as I'm rolling on that grout coat, that polyaspartic varnish is actually like sinking down through the layer until it hits the epoxy and then laying down. So oh. after my after my final top coat, I'm like, man, this is still really rough. Like, it's like if you took a polished concrete floor and took sand and covered the entire floor with sand, that's what it's like. Like, I'm like, there's wow. no way I'm gonna be able to sweep this. Yeah. So I was texting back and forth with my uh, with my um, sales rep at Spartan Epoxy. He's like, all right. He's like, I, I, I said, I was like, Jeff, I don't think that I was aggressive enough when I scraped this up. He's like, nope, it doesn't sound like it. He's like, so go rent a floor sander and take the top layer off. All right. And level it. Basically, you're leveling it. Because what that does is it, the floor sander isn't really going to sand anything, but what it's going to do is it's going to break off everything that's above that grout coat. Oh, okay. So, so yesterday I tested it. And I took my my palm sander, uh, my my Ranmore sander with some sixty grit, and I ran it over a corner of the floor, and it feels perfect. Okay. So I'm gonna have to go get a floor <laughs> sander, sand that entire floor just to knock off the like. It, it feels like grit, but it's not grit. I mean, it's it's the flakes. Yeah. So knock off that final like stuck down layer of flakes before I get down to the real stuff. And then I had to order another six hundred dollars of epoxy to do one more top coat. So yeah. it's and it's fine. It's fine. It's just I'm looking at the floor. My wife's like, she's like, you're never gonna get this clean. If you get sawdust on this floor, it's never coming out of those like the, oh, yeah. the crevasses between the yeah. the flakes. So so yeah. So you're doing like, like an epoxy terrazzo floor now. Yes, basically. Yes. So okay. Yeah. It looks great, man. It looks great. I'll I'll put a picture on the show notes page. Um, it looks really good, and I'm very happy with the color. I, I think I said that while we were putting it down. Like I was a little worried about the color. I did these walls kind of a darker gray, blue gray, and I was worried that the flake was going to look a little off. It looks beautiful. Um, it's just I'm I'm not saying that Spartan Epoxy's instructions aren't super clear, but they could use somebody that does how-to writing to write them some instructions. <laughs> Just emphasize like, the scraping part. I'm yes. going to be honest. I didn't read the manual. <laughs> no, I, oh, trust me. I was so stressed. I mean, this is $4,000 in epoxy floor, yeah. right? Like, like yeah. I was stressed about this. So I had asked plenty of questions. I didn't ask how aggressive it would be with the scraping, though. Come on. Right. Like... I figure that it's they like, almost oh, like need a, like a video produced on how to do I it. Know. And, and they, well, they, they do have videos and they say oh. use a plastic scraper. And the problem is like, start looking at videos from other epoxy companies and they're like, Oh, use a, a steel scraper or, Oh, use a, I don't know. Use a squeegee with a stiff edge. It's yeah. like, there's a thousand ways to do it. So. Yeah. You probably need, they don't want to recommend a metal scraper because, it, you know, the corners will catch and gouge and stuff. Yes. And, yep. That's so. probably exactly it. So, but, you know, lesson learned, it's in a couple hundred more bucks. Yep. What the heck? When you go to do the other side of the building. With epoxy <laughs> yeah. yeah. $10,000 worth of epoxy yep. flooring. Yeah. Not doing that. 
Because your shop is what, 1,600 square feet, you said? Uh, yes, uh, the woodworking shop area is 50, yeah. uh, 40 by 40. 40 by 40 outside measurements, so inside's probably closer to 39 by 39. Um, and then there's an office and a, a bathroom in there. So, like, it's it's probably close to 1,300 square feet of epoxy floor is, yeah. is where I'm thinking. So, yeah. Okay. So, but... I was, yeah, I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to get back from San Francisco. I can start moving some equipment in there just mm-hmm. to clear up some space in my other freaking areas, like my storage area and my garage and stuff. It's like, yeah, nope, I'm going to have to do one more coat. Dang. I know. After sanding. After sanding yeah. it. But, I I mean, I've never used a, f- ah, did I use it? No, I didn't. I can't imagine that a floor sander would take that long, right? No. Like, they have to be pretty wide. Yeah. Like oh yeah. I mean, if you get the so. the disc, they're like eighteen inches wide for sure. I mean, if you're just yeah. knocking down the, t- it's not like you're sanding through a wood finish, like floor. No, finish. well, like, exactly. Hitting the top of it, so it'll go yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, it's almost like I could do it with like a like a stiff, um, not 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 a brush, but like maybe like a Scotch Bright pad or something would probably almost do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it will be beautiful when it's done. I did, I found one ridge that we left. Be, like there was one area where there must have been a heavy epoxy pool because I could was see it the right light. closest to the door. No, it oh, wasn't. I can see yes. our I can see our spikes from the door though. Okay. So I, I actually drop filled some of our spike holes from standing on it with the spiky shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was over at the end of my. It's in between the bathroom and that divider wall I have. No. Oh. And I just like you can't see it except from one angle. One angle yeah. you could see it just a ridge where wow. you could see the epoxy pooled a little bit. So just set your table saw there. Yeah. <laughs> it's right where the bandsaw's going. Have to, sh- so. have to shim it up because it's yeah. so yeah. on level. Yeah. <laughs> so but no, it looks great and it went really quickly for what I was like I could I can now see that my dad's done an epoxy floor in two of his garages now. I can see the appeal of it. Like it looks yeah. good. It goes pretty quick. Um it's an investment, but if I mean, I did like the then. solid coverage of the flakes, too. That was kind of a fun yeah. look to it. and I Yeah, it is. I mean, it's supposed you know, to have a little bit of a texture to it, right? Yeah, it is. Well, and that's <laughs> that's kind of what started me along the lines of thinking, maybe I screwed up on this because uh, Jeff, actually, his name is Jeff Doyle. Um, Jeff Doyle uh, from Spartan Epoxy is like, well, he's like, you know, here we're going to uh, we're going to add grit into the package for the top coat so it doesn't get slippery if you if you get sawdust on it because i know my my dad's garage is a death trap if you get sawdust or water on it yeah it's super slick um he's like but he's like do your grout coat and then see what you think about the the like, see if you think you need it i don't think you're gonna need it and i'm like there ain't no freaking way you need it like <laughs> like this is like i don't want to kneel down on this because i'm gonna cut up my knee um so but yeah, it's it should add a little bit of texture, a little bit of grip. The the bigger thing that I thought was kind of interesting in is all right, I'm going to do some you know obviously a video on this, and I, I would like to do an article on shop floor options because you know people do rubber mats, they do uh, epoxy floors. Some people put sleepers and put a wood floor in their shop, which is a really interesting idea. Um, so I want to do an article, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the full flake coverage because it's my understanding that that full flake coverage 
you have a 16th inch layer of vinyl flake on your floor, it actually adds a little impact resistance. So if you drop a tool, it's not like dropping it on pure concrete. It's still hard, right. but it doesn't have that shock factor that concrete has. So yeah, yeah. So do you think they use recycled records for that for those chips, the vinyl chips? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think so. So it's a really, really weird uh, mix of music when you start standing it. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's like mixing all the colors together. Yeah. yeah. Probably mostly disco though. Mm. Yeah. I Seems like a coffee there. <laughs> Just to wrap up Eric's questions, he said, have you decided if shop notes will also be offered in print form or only continue as digital? Uh, right now, shop notes is only going to be digital. Uh, we're looking at some ways to maybe do like gather all the projects into a book format. Something a little larger would be nicer to do. But again, we haven't really decided on that. And kind of depends on the ongoing support that we get for for shop notes here. So, I mean, if we got papers expensive, yeah. people. If we got right. a huge number of people that possibly like a million. No, that's too many. <laughs> That's, that's too many. Let's that's not, too many. Let's not get crazy. That's that's too much paper. Uh, Jeff Baker suggests a shop note sleepover. We got the futon. We got the futon. So maybe just like camp out. Yep. Give like a VIP that. like tour where they get to stay overnight. Mm -hmm. We got the kitchen. Yeah, we got showers. Right. I mean, it's all there. Yep. It's like last year we went to Gulf Shores, Alabama, and we toured the battleship Alabama from World War II. And they have a section of it that they have set up where they will do, like you can do sleepovers and sleep on the battleship, which I thought was pretty See? cool. It's like the same thing. Too many ghosts for me. <laughs> Here in the office or? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I meant, not the battleship. <laughs> Personal ghosts. Personal. Yeah. <laughs> Just can't do it. Which would be fine in this building, I think. The building that we were in across the street. Mm -hmm. That one, I mean, other than when we had bats, mm -hmm. that one, the HVAC system in there was legit haunted. Yeah, there was yeah. weird noises was in that building. creaking and moaning and... Yeah. Like the ice machine would always go off and then like I'd be working late and I hear the ice machine. I'm like, hello, is somebody Then <laughs> there's a porcelain doll standing in the entrance of yes. your cubicle. Yes. <laughs> We're writing some good shop notes podcast fan fiction today. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So that's it for comments. I believe somebody had a question about the bookcase plan that wasn't a link damaged on that. And I still have to do the show notes page for that. I ended up leaving for vacation before I could finish that. So People are waiting. Yeah, we'll get that up and then we'll have a free project for this episode, which I haven't decided what it is yet. I got a couple of options and we'll have to see where where it lands. So here's a question for you guys. Okay. Do you guys, uh, this is, this seems like a weird paradigm, but like, do you guys think as you get older as a woodworker, 
does the speed at which you work slow down or speed up? Hmm. Like, I would, I would logically think that you gain more knowledge, so so you're working faster because you're more confident in what you're doing. But I also think that physically you might be slowing down a little bit. Like, I mean, what do you mean, is, you guys? Well, well, no, 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 no. This is stemming from this is stemming from my week last week at David Marks' place. Okay, um, and David David's told me the entire you know year and a half I've been working with him. He's like, I'm not a fast food worker. And he was straight up honest about it. He's like, I'm not a fast food worker. And he's not. He's very meticulous, very careful, very slow uh, at the way he approaches stuff. He thinks stuff out and thinks it through thoroughly. But David's also now 71. Okay. So, you know, thinking back 20 years ago when his show was on TV, he would have been in his 50s. And he, he talked about how his TV crew, which was a it was a, a production crew that was brought in. So it was not his crew, but it was a production crew. And they were always, he's, you know, in, in his words, you know, in, you know, a roundabout way, he's like, they're always telling me to go faster because they're like, we're, we're building. He's like, I'm building something, mm-hmm. but they were trying to always get him to speed up. So it'd be interesting to me to see the, the different speed at which he worked back then versus now, you know, what do you guys think? You guys think as you get older, you would slow down a bit, mm-hmm. speed up. I, I don't know that it's changed by age i guess i it's just it's weird for us because like woodworking is our livelihood but it's not like really based on production right yeah that way um for me it's like i always feel like i go slower as the project moves along because i'm like more cautious i have more to lose if i screw something up as i get farther into it but i don't know that like age has slowed or sped up the process i guess i've got more experienced on things so i guess you know some some processes are probably faster just basically yeah on and i guess but... i guess that is what i was getting at it's like as you learn you know where you can speed up yeah right because you know that there's things you can do that don't really matter they need done but they don't really matter to the end project you know yeah um, rough cutting parts for example you know, you take your time laying it out, but the cut, the rough cuts don't need to be perfect. Like right. you're just rough cutting stuff. You're going to final cut it then. Um, but it's just, it was interesting. It made me start thinking about my own working and like, you know, there are certain things now that I definitely do faster than I did 10 years ago, but there are also things I do slower because it's like, ah, I know I need to be more careful about this or, Oh, Hey, burn myself there once. Let's not mm-hmm. do that again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I feel like I'm, at a point where I'm completing projects much faster than I used to. Yes. Yeah. And so I feel that is related to the fact of just being more confident and competent Yes. in okay. being able to do some stuff. Even, yeah, so that I know what I'm doing or what I can expect from a given operation. So that when I go to set up a router table or a table saw to cut joinery, I can get... I can get to the right setup a lot faster than I used to. Okay. Just knowing, knowing what I need to do. That being said, there's some things where projects aren't as fast as they could be because as a more experienced woodworker, I'm now a little bit more fussy on, uh, 
finish or selecting materials or, you know, making sure that, you know, there's a, there's a point where joints fit together and are mm -hmm. structurally solid and where they're that and look good. Yes. And I think in the past, I just didn't have the experience to know, to see some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I take longer on it because I'm, you know, like you said about David, just a little bit more meticulous on surface quality or details or something like that. Do you guys think there's a point where the details have a diminishing return? Oh like, yeah. Okay. And, and I guess that's, that's what puts David Marks and Logan Whitmer in different classes. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, and I'm no way to make fun of David. Like he's still like, he's like, he's the woodworker I've always looked up to and, and still do. But he like for example like this vessel there are some things on here that you know like like the bottom where david signed his name yeah he said he signed it like three different times <laughs> and rechucked it and turned it off because it didn't look right so what he ended up doing was laying out thin 16th inch and 8th inch masking tape around the perimeter of that bead to evenly space his letters. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. like, I Bro. appreciate his level of, of attention on that, but I'm like, bro, it doesn't matter that much. Like <laughs> to David, it does. And see, yeah. that's, that's, I guess where the difference lies is for the craftsman or the craftswoman or whatever. Uh, there are sometimes you do things for yourself. Yeah. And that's, that is a prime example of that, you yeah. know? Um, it just, it's fascinating to me. Like I, sometimes I feel like I should have been a psychologist because the way people think really fascinates me. So, yeah, I, it's definitely a sliding scale, but I feel like we should have a sign in the studio here because we say it often enough where we're, one of us is working on something and it's like, just don't pick at it. Stop picking yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm pretty sure I, in the last week, in San Francisco, I said that probably 30 times today. Like, David, <laughs> stop picking at it. We yeah. need the next photo. Like, <laughs> we have a mission, and our mission is to get the A to B, mm -hmm. and you can come back and fix it later. I don't care. Right. That's what Photoshop's for. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, and I, I run through that when I'm teaching woodworking, especially to people who are new at it, that where they have an unspoken expectation of a certain level of perfection or whatever, and then mm -hmm. want to just really drive at that. And it's trying to temper that expectation, not, not giving into sloppy work, but, you know, understanding where your own limits are and in order to improve it is going to require an immense amount of effort. And along with that is going to build up a high level of frustration at yourself and at the result of the project when you can be quite satisfied with the project just by letting it go. Yeah. Well, I, I think it also goes the other way. Cause I know, I, I know a couple of people, um, nobody we work with, but I know a couple of people where it's like, they do pretty good work, but then there's points where they just like stop caring about it. Like, 
It's like, hey, if you would have taken another like 30 seconds with that 180 grit, this would have been a much better project. Like, and I guess that's where, you know, the diminishing returns on the, the, the details really comes into play. It's like that 30 seconds is a great use of your time because it's just going to increase the, the level of that finish. You know, maybe you didn't need to redo your name three times. Um, <laughs> but, like, and th- that was not David. His saying, trust me, that was not him. Yeah. But, like, no. uh, you know, just as a, as a point, it's like there's there are things that matter. And then there are things that don't matter when it comes to woodworking. Or don't matter that much to most people. Yeah. Yeah. And so. it, being able to figure that out is a, is a process. Because I've had that... Yeah in my own experience where you're just ready to get a project done mm-hmm. and you just kind of burn through something. And then later you kick yourself over the fact that, or you want to come back then and fix it. And then yeah. it's a much more involved thing where it's like, if I would have done this before gluing it up, we wouldn't be here right now. We'd be done. <laughs> but yeah. Do you, I mean, do you ever look at a project that you've completed and you say, gosh, I really wish that I would have done this differently and you can't live with it and you go back and, re- and redo it? Not one doesn't come to the top of my head. Okay. I mean, there's there's been several projects where I think I've tried to come to the understanding of this project is what it is. Yeah, and I mean, it's a learning experience. Right. Right. Like you're going to take yeah. something away from that. Yeah. And allow it to be its own thing. You know, yeah. that it's imper- imperfections are part of what it is. Yeah. I've had that on some shop jigs and mm. tools where mm-hmm. it's like, this is good enough. And then when you yeah. go to use it, it's like, no, actually it's not. And it's sure. been frustrating. Yeah. I, I guess I've had that more on some of my turnings where it's like, I'm working at it and as I'm working on it, I'm like, Oh, this looks, you know, this looks pretty good. Then I get, you know, either I get it home or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I really wish I would have done that differently. Or, you know, the thing with a bowl is you always, you're trying to get that smooth inside. And right. sometimes you get a flat in the bottom or you get a little hump in the middle. And, and right. as you're standing there and you're feeling it, you're like, oh, it feels pretty good. Like I can't really feel it. Like I'll be able to sand that out as I'm sanding it. Then you go to put finish on it, and you're like, oh, I can see the light line where it bumps up a little bit. Right. Does it matter to anybody else besides me? Absolutely not. But yeah. make a jam chuck and fix it. <laughs> so. No, I get that. So here's a question then for you back at it is this past week I was – visiting family and built a project with my brother-in-law, which was super fun for his Mm -hmm. new to him RV, um, adding a drawer and a pullout counter so that they can access from the outside. It was really fun. Got to work in with his tools in his shop and also was in my father-in-law's shop. And it reminded me of, um, teaching classes or even sometimes when we get customer service questions on how to recommend tool buying advice or shop setup stuff when it conflicts with the way that you work. Like, yes. How hard is it for you guys to be able to set aside your own preferences and being able to, you know, because 
sometimes people are looking for your your personal opinion on stuff. Yep. For example, both my father-in-law and brother-in-law are what I would call like gearhead kind of people. They're just really yep. excited about the tool aspect of stuff. So I get that. Each of them probably have 48 screwdrivers, you know, yep. and sets of driver bits and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking to myself, I just threw away a bunch of stuff because I knew that I had doubles of it already mm -hmm. and I just don't need it. Um, those are the one emails I hate. It's like, Hey, I need to buy a new tool. What should I buy? I'm like, let me come work with you for a month and then we'll yeah. decide what you need. <laughs> yeah. You know? Cause it's like, it's so hard because you know, like, um, David has six bandsaws, okay? Six of them. Now, I can see having two. He would never live... With, I don't think he would ever live without his six bandsaws. Because each one of them is for a different purpose. So, you know, one set up is his resaw. One set up is his veneer saw. One set up for his rough sawing. And, you know, all mm -hmm. that. Like, And that's cool, because that's how he works. Would I ever recommend to you know, Joe down the road that has a one stall shop that he gets three bands on us. No, unless he feels like he needs it, but I don't know how Joe works, you know? Um, so, I mean, I hate to say it, but I always default to like the core tools. Like it starts off with what do you build? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. If, if your, if your brother-in-law is like, you know, Hey, I'm, I, uh, I really want to start building furniture. I don't build any yet, but I want to. What do I need to buy? It's like, well, okay. Let's have a heart to heart and see how serious you really are. Right. Be you know, and it's like Phil might not suggest a table saw because he doesn't have a table saw in his shop. I really like my table saw. I would go without my router table before I go without my table saw. Um so I don't know, that's it's a hard question to answer without actually going and seeing how somebody works and seeing right. the type of stuff they like to do. It's hard. Yeah. It was just something that I had thought of while I was there because I just see, you know, cause you inevitably compare, you know, your space to another person's space when you're in yeah. it. And there are some things that it would be that I really appreciate about both of their setups that's different and I think could be better than what I have. But on the other hand, I, there were times where I was just looking around and I was like, yeah, whoa. Now that is something I will say is it is always interesting to get in somebody else's space because you're right. Like you see stuff and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, that's a great idea. Like right. I should like, I really like how this is set up. Um, you know, uh, I have a acquaintance. I don't know if I told you guys this or not. I have an acquaintance in town that, uh, her husband passed away um, a couple months back and I was helped. I've been helping her sell his tools. Um, and I've sold a lot. She, I mean, Mark and Lorraine built a, uh, a, uh, print finishing company in Des Moines. Um, kind of from the ground up. It was really big. It sold to another print shop. Um, 
And Mark really liked woodworking, so he had a lot of really nice tools. Yeah. And, I mean, he had a, a brand new, like, unfortunately, he built this CNC, and he had to stroke, like, the day after he finished it. So he oh. never got to use it. So it was like, and it's like a $10,000 or $11,000 CNC. Like, it's a big one. And so I, I you know, long story short, I helped. I've been helping Lorraine sell off his tools, and we're almost through the list. Like, the CNC sold the first thing. I was amazed that somebody just dropped 8500 bucks on a CNC, kind of sight unseen, and they're driving a couple hours to get it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, kind of walking around Mark's shop and um, going through some of his drawers with Lorraine, because she's like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Like, I think a, a brother-in-law came in and got a few of the tools, like the saw stop and stuff. Like, some of the some of the things that he's like, hey, I would actually use this. And Lorraine's like, great, please take it. Um, but, you know, we're going through, like, the drawers and kind of seeing, you know, what Mark had and stuff. Like, and I didn't know... M- I, I knew I know Lorraine more than I knew Mark. Um, so I'm, it's kind of interesting because I kind of tell the type of guy that Mark was. Everything's labeled. <laughs> Everything is labeled. Like I opened up top cabinets and there are four router cases up there. Like um, Bosch Colt router. There's four Bosch Colt router cases up there. One said quarter inch roundover, quarter inch chamfer. What <laughs> the next one said quarter inch straight bit. I'm like, there's no way that that's actually the router bit that's in those routers and sure shit it was Mm -hmm. i'm like this is like the way he had everything labeled i'm like this makes it so easy to find stuff like put that one down in my little black book for (laughs) a to-do for myself like label stuff because man it was so nice being able to figure out where everything was or like the drawer that says planer accessories hey when we sell the planer that drawer goes with it because (laughs) those are all the planer accessories and it was awesome so or like he had notes written all over like i guess our guys in the shop kind of do that like when they rotate knives they'll write with a sharpie on top of the planer knives changed you know 119 23 or whatever yeah um again mark had he had he didn't write on his machines because he has more respect for his machines than our neanderthals do (laughs) but like he would have blue tape like under the feed table and it said blades rotated and there was like crossed out lines and this this probably comes from years of managing a a print bindery shop sure or it's like you have to write stuff down like that mm-hmm. um but like stuff was written down and i'm like that's fantastic like then you know when it was done because you start forgetting right like did that's i rotate cool. those did i rotate them clockwise or did i rotate them counterclockwise so it is it is really fascinating just getting into somebody else's shop and seeing how they work. Yeah. So. All right. Last words, John. Nope. I think Logan pretty said it pretty much said it all. So. We're already right. in overtime. So. Yeah. I, say, I don't want to make it <laughs> I say, we're gonna make a couple people really <laughs> yeah. mad. This might have to be a part one. one, part two. Yes. There we go. This is the yeah. this is the catch up episode. Yeah. From we're trying to weeks we're off. trying to make yeah. up. We got a lot to talk yeah. about. Okay. So. All right, thanks for listening to the Shop Notes podcast. Don't forget to check out our show notes page, shopnotes.com slash podcast for the free plan that's going with this episode. What is it? I don't know. We'll find out. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel or send us an email, shopnotes or woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Um, Again, if you're interested in coming for a tour, send us an email as well. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.